You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. Turn on the Jets Podcast. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we are joined by Connor Rogers, draft analyst for Bleacher Report, former TOJ member, obviously longtime friend of the site. Connor is one of the best in the biz when it comes to the NFL draft, and we're going to use this episode to have some preliminary discussions about who the Jets could target with the third overall pick, if they should consider trading back, and if they do trade back, who they could look at uh, potentially acquiring. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, some of the recent hires in the coaching staff, but we're predominantly going to focus on the NFL draft and prospects uh, for the Jets to consider. A couple quick PSAs, just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We have a new feed on Spotify and Google Play uh, that I'll continue to tweet out. It is different than our previous feed since we've migrated over to Overtime Media. Uh, We're going to have a second episode this week that's going to run on Saturday. That's going to feature Damian Woody. How could you not know who Damian Woody is? We're going to talk all things Jets and all things offensive line. So make sure you look out for that extra episode uh, dropping a couple days after this one featuring Connor. Uh, Last PSA, I'm going to the Super Bowl. I've somehow found my way into a Super Bowl ticket, so I will be covering my entire experience down in Atlanta from Friday up through the end of the game Sunday on my Twitter at jcaparoso and on the Turn on the Jets Instagram, which is Turn on the Jets underscore IG. I'll be at the Super Bowl experience. I'll be at the Pepsi party. I'll be at the NFL Honors. I'll be at the cocktail party for the NFL Honors, and then I will be at the game proudly rooting for the Los Angeles Rams. So make sure to follow along. And we are now joined by this week's guest, one of the best, if not the best, draft analysts out there, Connor Rogers, Bleacher Report, Stick to Football, Turn on the Jets alumni, multi-time guest of this pod so many times I can't count. Connor, thank you for joining us. Oh, of course, Joe, anytime. It's always good to be home. What's going on? Nothing, man. You know, it's kind it's kind of a quiet period. I guess if there ever is a quiet period, it would be right now. So I figured this would be a good time to talk NFL draft because our New York Jets yet again have a top six pick for the, what, fourth time in five years or something like that. So they will be picking third overall uh, where they picked last year after their trade up for Sam Darnold. Unlike last year and unlike many other years, uh, there's no discussion of the quarterback position this year. That that box has finally been checked with Sam Darnold. Uh, I think we're very early here, but it's very interesting to see what a wide net of options are coming through on if the Jets stay put at number three, who they would take. Before we dive into potential trade backs, other targets, other positions, if from what you've seen so far, who are the main options for the Jets if they stick with the third overall pick? 
Well, I think in a perfect praying world, uh, Nick Bosa falls to three, who is the best player in this draft. I just can't see any way that happens unless these teams absolutely convince themselves that two of these quarterbacks are worth trading all the way up for. And that would have to include that Arizona and San Francisco are even interested in trading out of the pick. I think that's the most important thing to know here. I don't see why either of those teams would pass up on a player like Nick Bosa. So for the Jets, when you start to assume that he should be off the board, it gets really interesting because you have a lot of good players that fit needs for them, but not players you would normally take third overall. And that starts with somebody like Josh Allen from Kentucky. I'm a little lower on him than most fans. I think he's a solid edge pass rusher. I don't think anything overly jumps out with him in terms of a rare trait he has. I am curious to see him at the combine if he tests very well. I think he lacks a, you know, a true pass rush plan right now, but and he can struggle against the run at times. But when you look at some of his dominant performances, I mean, getting away from the game against Georgia where he didn't really shine, but some of his more dominant performances against lower competition, you do see a lot of traits. You see the outside rush. You see the good get off the snap. You see the speed to get after the quarterback. And that's something the Jets have looked for for a very long time. And he has that alpha male kind of attitude that would fit in with a player like Jamal Adams up, you know, in that defense that this front office seemingly is looking for. But when you get away from Josh Allen, there are other options. Of course, Cleveland Farrell from Clemson is a player I love, uh, really has a championship pedigree, two titles at Clemson, you know, 26 and a half sacks, 50 tackles for a loss. He's the real deal in terms of high floor kind of player. He's somebody that should have eight to 10 sacks every year. He will not lose against the run. He will never lose containment. But you might not get some of the flash that we've seen with Josh Allen. There's then less of the, you know, the speed or the maybe the ability to dip and turn the corner. But I think when you look at the pass rushers, the Jets have to be really aggressive in free agency so they don't go into this draft having to forcefully take one because you can't assume Nick Bosa is there. And there are really good tier two options like Allen, Cleveland Farrell. I really, really like Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. Other people are higher on Brian Burns and Montez Sweat, but these are all players that are probably middle of the pack to late first rounder kind of guys outside of Farrell, who I think will be a little higher. So you flip over to the offensive side of the ball where a lot of Jets fans are demanding offensive line help for Sam Darnold, and it starts with Jonah Williams from Alabama. And when you look at Williams, he's not your Tyron Smith kind of prospect at tackle. He's not going to have the overwhelmingly athletic traits or the length, but he's just been technically sound. He has a good anchor. I think he's somebody that does have really good feet and awareness and pass protection. So a lot of scouts will tell you he'd be the perfect center or they like him at guard. I still think he's an NFL tackle. The question is, can you take somebody that you probably see as an average tackle third overall? Maybe if you're the Jets, you are. And basically what I'm getting at here is, the Jets' best option is to trade out of the third overall pick because all these guys I just went through, somebody has to fall down the board a little bit. Maybe you trade with the Broncos at 10 or the Redskins at 15. So there are a lot of players I do like at third overall for the Jets that would help needs as we just run through the pass rushers, which is collectively a very good group, and obviously the front of the offensive line group, which is Jonah Williams. But the biggest thing is here, they're kind of in an awkward spot. Talk to me before we move on about trading back about Quinnen Williams, who's someone who's going to be, I don't know, he's been mocked to the Jets a decent amount. Now, again, we've talked about the Jets needing to take not traditional team building methods because of just how bad they've been for how long and because they have the quarterback on a rookie contract and all that other stuff that makes them a somewhat unique situation. I've been told that 
despite how many times the Jets have went with an interior defensive lineman, he is worth it to do it again. Look, I have not dove deep enough in his game to assess whether he really is an Aaron Donald-level prospect. Obviously, if you get an Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald's a generational player. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Different type of conversation. For me, I I said this in November or December. I, I still feel the same way. I just don't care. I don't want to see them take another interior defensive lineman. They've done it five times in the past 10 years. At a certain point, you need to do something different. You need to try something different. I just don't see how this team could again go through that same process of adding someone who plays that position. Is he a good enough prospect where regardless of the Jets history, that would have to be the pick anyway? I would bet every guest you have on this show going forward will say yes, but I will say no. I just, I like Quinn and Williams. Every NFL person or guys that have been on the scouting trail all year will tell you that there are two true star players in this draft, and that's Nick Bosa and Quinn and Williams. And then there's kind of a line between them and everyone else. But I look at this, Joe, and I'm with you where. I don't have interest in this team taking interior defensive line again. I think if you're if you feel you need to bolster that unit, go out in free agency and go give somebody like Grady Jarrett all the money that you have. You have so much of that money. If you feel that you need more of an interior pass rush, go do it that way. My problem with and here's my other thing too, and this is once again probably another spot that I'm an outlier in. I think I would rather have Ed Oliver if I was the Jets at, at that third overall pick than Quinn Williams if you did want to go interior line because he's different. He's athletically gifted, and his best trait is his ability to disrupt the pocket where he changes the game. And he's not, nobody is Aaron Donald, but if you're looking for somebody in that mold where he's undersized, he's probably six foot, six foot one, 275, 280 pounds. But when you're that quick and that strong, it really doesn't matter, especially the kind of gap shooter that he is. So I understand the love for Quinton Williams, and I understand if the Jets pass on him, he probably will go be a great player somewhere else. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's the right pick for the Jets because they have other pressing... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline needs in other areas this is the overtime podcast network all right we agree and i think most fans agree as they do in most years that in a perfect world the jets would be able to trade back compile more picks uh, and have more dart throws at filling their many many holes on both sides of the football this year it may be more realistic since they are sitting a third overall uh, and there are many teams who are going to be looking to take a quarterback in the first round, whether that ends up being a Haskins or a Locke uh, or whoever else ends up being a first-round quarterback this year in a class that is probably a healthy step back from the class we saw last year and even a step back from the class that we had with the year before then. So kudos for the Jets to for not waiting and making their move last year. Now, at third overall, working under the assumption that the Jets and the Giants are never going to do that type of business who are the two or three most likely teams that the Jets would trade back with? 
And what type of haul are they looking at getting if they can't actually execute that? And is what they traded last year a good barometer to use? Or is that trade a bit of an outlier because of how far in advance it happened uh, before the NFL draft and just because it was a pretty unique one at the time? Well, the one thing I could say is I could see teams stealing that style from the Jets if they really like a, you know, a handful of the quarterbacks that much in this class and getting the deal done maybe in March or early April. But the problem is I don't think there's that many great quarterback prospects in this class, although I do think three will go in the top ten being Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, and Drew Locke. So starting with trade partners, the obvious one for me is Denver. Everybody will tell you John Elway loves Drew Locke. John Elway knows. He needs to get them, you know, he needs to hit on this quarterback pick. And that's basically been their guy since the season started. They've followed him all season on the scouting trail. John Elway got to see him up close and personal at practice every day. He stood basically right in front of him. And some of that can mean absolutely nothing. But in this case, it does mean a lot. The Broncos want Drew Locke. I think it's something that is very obvious and a lot of people around the league are aware of. But how badly will they go to secure that pick? And will other teams be interested? That's the biggest thing. Will Jacksonville or the New York Giants have interest and force the Broncos to come up to go get him, maybe at a spot like three overall where you're pretty safe in landing him? So I think the Broncos make a lot of sense. You get your second round pick back. I don't think this will be one of those scenarios where like the Jets went from six to three last year and gave up three second rounders to do so. I don't know if the trade will cost that much just because the demand of these quarterbacks isn't as high this year, rightfully so. They're not as talented players, but you're still going to get something when you move back from three to 10, you're going to get more than just a second round pickback. So it's still a good trade. Maybe the Jets get creative and try to get a player in the trade along with that second round pick if they move back because they're a team with a lot of holes and a lot of cap space that they could take on a player. So Getting away from the Broncos, I do think Washington is realistic. They're a team that has to get it right. The Alex Smith money is really, really going to hurt them going forward. The injury guarantees and not having him, of course, doesn't do them any favors. So they got to come up and get a quarterback. You can't sit at 15 and pray. That's how you'll miss on pretty much everyone. You might even miss on someone like Daniel Jones from Duke all the way at 15. They can't afford to take that risk. Now, would they come all the way up to three? It depends who they like. If they like Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins, they're going to have to come up to three because there's just too much risk there. You look at Jacksonville, they're sitting there looking at all the quarterbacks. Nobody knows what the New York Giants are going to want to do. It seems like they'll never let the Eli Manning era end, but at some point it has to. And I think they would like to do the scenario where the rookie could sit behind Eli for at least half a season, which makes a lot of sense. And you only pick in the top 10 so many times, unless you're the New York Jets or Browns, where it starts to feel like every single season. So when it comes down to it, the Jets will have options here. It's a matter of drawing interest in building the market of these quarterbacks. And I do think that's a market that's going to grow over these next three months. It always happens with the quarterbacks. You never bet on their stock plummeting, bet on it growing. Baker Mayfield was viewed as a second round guy maybe a year ago and then or a little over a year ago. And then after the senior bowl, everyone knew he was going in the first round. He climbed all the way to number one overall. So it's going to happen, I think, here. It's just a matter of who wants to move and what they're willing to give up and really just drumming up the interest of that overall market. When we're looking at different positions uh, and looking at the totality of the Jets draft, we know that they need so much help, particularly offensively and building around Sam Darnold. We know that they need corners. They need pass rushers. They need basically everything except for a safety and a quarterback what positions have particularly strong depth this year where if the Jets are smart and can compile more picks and have more mid-round swings, they can really find 
some year one impact players uh, in the middle rounds of that specific position. Because, I mean, this is going to be a team where likely there will be opportunities for middle round guys to make immediate impacts, like you saw from a Chris Herndon this year, even like you see from guys like Eli McGuire and Trenton Cannon, who are not particularly great players, that got opportunities. So what are some deep positions in particular for this year's overall draft class? I think in no order, it's defensive line and offensive line. I think offensive line doesn't have the premier player that everyone wants. When you look at Quentin Nelson last year, there's nobody like that. But they have a handful of guys in the top 75 that can be starters right away. There's a few athletic tackles, whether you look at it like a Jonah Williams, but really Andre Dillard, Yannick Adjust, uh, you know, Cody Ford from Oklahoma, who might project better as a guard, Dalton Reisner from Kansas State. There's a lot of good offensive line prospects in this class that will go in the first three rounds. I, defensive line, we went through a ton of them earlier. Just in the first round alone, you look at the edge guys, Nick Bosa, Cleland Farrell, Josh Allen, Brian Burns, Montez Sweat. I mean, maybe even Jalen Ferguson and O'Shane Zimenez get in the mix there. On the interior, Ed Oliver, Quinton Williams, you know, Dexter Lawrence. So it, it, when, it, the list really goes on and on and on in the trenches for this group. And then Getting away from that, the tight end group is really strong. I think the Jets, if they were wise here, would look for a second tight end to pair with Chris Herndon. I think this is a team that if they do make you happy there, Joe, and sign Le'Veon Bell and they want to be you know, this power run team, I think having a second tight end that could block would really do them wonders. And it, But like you said, this really matters how many picks you get because you could only spend so much at each position. So I, I think those are the strongest. I've actually found some really nice day two running backs and wide receivers in this group. I think this is a team that, assuming Jermaine Curse does walk in free agency, they're going to have to add a receiver. And I think the top of the third round or in the fourth round would be really the time to do it here. I mean, you look at Debo Samuel from South Carolina. He had an absolutely great senior bowl. So, and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford would be a nice red zone target. Uh, both Georgia guys, McCall Hardman has speed. Riley Ridley is a really good route runner. Those are these guys that are in that second to fifth round range where you look at it and you go, Okay, these can be impact guys, even though they're not in that tier one or maybe even you know the upper tier of receivers in this group. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been I've been talking about this a lot with the tight end position. I, I don't get the hesitation among some fans to add depth. Red FL offenses regularly use two and three tight ends, including Adam Gase's offense. He had two tight ends play 43% of the snaps last year. Instead of playing Eric Tomlinson or Jordan Lay yes. 35 snaps a game, go get some more depth. And if you can't find a good third receiver, because God, please let Jermaine Curse not be on this team next year, maybe you run more two tight end sets and use Herndon as a receiver and have another inline guy uh, to help with the blocking. And Herndon is probably facing a two or maybe three game suspension because of his DUI. And he's a guy who has injury history. So he looked awesome as a rookie. Great mid-round fine. But having depth is a good thing. It's the same thing at the receiver position. We learned this last year. You can't say, I love Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inouye while they're fine at receiver. No one likes those two guys more than I do. But they get banged up and they haven't proven they could stay healthy and consistent enough. You need options so that when one or two people get hurt, Sam Darnold's not at the on the road against Chicago throwing to Andre Roberts, Deontay Burnett, and Jordan Leggett, and you're asking him to win games. Use these picks to add depth overall. Um, looking at the defensive side of the football, it doesn't get talked about quite as much as the pass rusher, even though I would argue it could be an equally bigger 
Eagle need, especially with Greg Williams becoming the defensive coordinator, is the cornerback position. So Morris Claiborne's a free agent and old and not that good. Buster Screen's a free agent and old and not that good. You have Tremaine Johnson coming off the worst year of his career, heading to an age that's usually not where cornerbacks get better. Uh, If the Jets do trade down to that 7 to 15 range, is there a cornerback or two worth considering? And is this a draft where they could get good value at that position in the third, fourth, or fifth round, knowing that the free agent crop really isn't that good unless you're going to take a swing on a guy with serious injury concerns like Ronald Darby or Bryce Callahan? Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of this group this year. I really like Byron Murphy from Washington. He's the kind of corner that would thrive more so in zone coverage, but I think he could play man. I think he's the most fluid corner in this class. He, he's not Denzel Ward from last year but he's not insanely far off from Denzel Ward I know Greedy Williams was the household name I got to see him when they played Georgia down in Baton Rouge this year I think the NFL has cooled a little bit on Greedy Williams I thought he was a lock to go in the top eight and now it seems like he might be a middle to back end first rounder he's a really physical press corner I actually think he would fit really well with Greg Williams but the there are some effort questions there I've noticed with Greedy Williams from a lot of guys watching his film I I don't really worry about that all the time at the next level of the NFL, especially if he's paired with a guy like Jamal Adams. I just think his deep speed might be the biggest question there where you wonder how early you could take him. Trayvon Mullen from Clemson is actually Lamar Jackson's cousin, so you can imagine what kind of athletic profile this guy has. You know, he's tall, he's long, he can run, but his technique is a little all over the place. And DeAndre Baker from Georgia, absolutely physical, feisty, nasty. So, there is a handful of corners in this class that can be impact players, but I don't know if there's the absolute rock star of the group. And then you look at day two, it's kind of whatever. I think Julian Love would be the one guy that stood out for the, from Notre Dame for me there. I'm curious to see how he runs. Not the biggest guy in the world. He's around 5'10", 5'11", but a great tackler. He really moves well down the field. So it's just an okay corner group. And I think it really – it further proves how important it is for the Jets to have a pass rush this year. Go out, maybe sign two guys up front, and then maybe draft one. I said earlier, you know, you don't want to reach for somebody at three, but if you get stuck in that spot and you come out of this thing with the Cleveland Farrell, with the Ja'Kai Polite, Josh Allen, you just get this thing going and you get after the quarterback to take some pressure off these corners. So you're not going to fix a secondary in one draft in, in this group, that's for sure. But at the end of the day, There's a handful of guys in the middle of the first round. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, one more NFL draft question, and then we'll quickly hit on some recent Jet news. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. If you had to project it today, and know this is going to be a moving target, what are the top five picks in the NFL draft going to be? Uh, if everybody stays put, it, it's a little tricky, but I think Nick Bosa goes first overall. It, it's just absolutely hard to you know, see it any other way, unless Cliff Kingsbury has full control over there. You might get crazy and take Kyler Murray. First overall, I know Cliff absolutely loves Kyler Murray. I think everyone's well aware of that. But Nick Bosa first, it leaves the Niners in such a weird spot. I don't know if this is a team that could take an interior defensive lineman, but it would probably either Quinton Williams or Josh Allen there for San Francisco. And then you look at the Jets at three, and 
it, it gets really interesting. I think they would go with somebody like Jonah Williams just because you look at it and you say, okay, well, if we have concerns long-term about tackle, we try him there and he fails, he's going to be a great center or guard. And I think at the end of the day, you could sell that pick because it is helping Sam Darnold. Uh, so it, it's really tricky there. I think the Raiders are in a fascinating spot. Nobody knows what the hell John Gruden's going to do. I mean, Jonah Williams wouldn't surprise me there. I think they traded Khalil Mack. I mean, you got to get some kind of pass rush up there. So once again, the guys like Cleveland Farrell, Josh Allen, they're all in that conversation yet again. Rashawn Gary is another guy that's going to absolutely tear up the NFL combine after a so-so career at Michigan. But he was an elite recruit. He has elite flashes on tape, and he will test as an elite athlete. And he could play really kind of anywhere along the defensive line. They had him at edge, but I think he's actually more of kind of a five tech or even a three tech at times. So it's really interesting to see how this thing is going to shake out. Cause then you have Tampa at five and you, I mean, they're an absolute wild card with Bruce Arians. It seems like the Bruce Arians hire to me screams that they're going to try to make this thing work with Jameis Winston. They're another team. Do they lose Donovan Smith in free agency, their left tackle, then a Jonah Williams, or even a guy like Yadney could just comes into play. I know it seems crazy. Once again, you know, these aren't always the most popular names, but they can be top five picks because of the need and that's another team too that they they need help up front on the defensive line they'll be right in the conversation for an ed oliver or a quinton williams if he does make it that far but when you look at these top 10 picks of the draft it's easy to really plug in the names that are going all those i just named and then the three quarterbacks between lock haskins and murray you're just shuffling them around until we get teams trading up all right before we let you go let's talk about the Jets offseason decision. So, of course, the big headlines have been hiring Adam, keeping Mike McCadden as general manager, hiring Adam Gase as the head coach, hiring Greg Williams as a defensive coordinator, hiring Dowell Loggins as the offensive coordinator. Only other coaching news that has come through is Frank Pollock as the offensive line coach and Sean Jefferson as the receiver coach. I believe the anticipation is that Eric Studeville will not be coming over to here uh, and that they're also likely going to add Miami's former tight end coach. Haven't heard too much other news outside of Denard Wilson being kept around as a defensive backs coach. Uh, and, one or, and Greg Williams' son is also joining the staff in some capacity. So overall, what are your thoughts on how the staff is coming together? And what is the chatter around that you heard down at Senior Bowl about how the staff is coming together? Well, everybody in the NFL loves Adam Gase. And I think you saw that, Joe, when the hire got made. Everybody in the media, you know, was a lot more positive than Jets fans were. And I was kind of somewhere in the middle. I really liked Todd Munkin. I, I like Matt Rule individually. But at the end of the day, I, I don't know. I think his offensive hires would have really been the right move for Sam Darnold. And then there was Adam Gase, who was kind of choice number three. But this is a really smart guy. And I think the best thing Adam Gase did for himself after some of that criticism was hiring Greg Williams. Greg Williams is, this is a team that is getting a wake up call. I mean, all the sleepy Todd Bowles jokes over the years, this thing is going to turn around right now. This is going to be really put up or shut up. If you're in that locker room, yes, it's two minds that can absolutely explode together between Gase and Greg Williams. And that could be really good or really bad. But at the end of the day, it's clear the jets are swinging for the fences as for the assistants, I think Jefferson and Pollock are actually really good hires. I've heard really great things about both. Obviously, their resumes, especially a guy like Pollock, speaks for itself a little bit. And with Jefferson, I mean, let's be real. Miami actually ended up getting a lot more than they should have out of their receivers at times. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing here with the two big hires, and that's Gase and Greg Williams, 
is getting the most out of your stars. I think what Sam Darnold, it's what Adam Gates does, what Sam Darnold will dictate his Jets career. If Sam Darnold turns into a top five to eight quarterback, Adam Gase is probably going to be here for a really long time. When you look at Greg Williams, this is a defense that you hope becomes an opportunistic, aggressive takeaway defense because that's just kind of the way the NFL is going. Yards essentially do not matter anymore, especially the way the game is called, the way the game is structured. You got to be opportunistic. You got to get takeaways. You got to create pressure. And I think the good thing is with Greg's defense, I don't think it'll be one of those sit back and slowly get killed approach. They'll just go for it. So I'm mixed on the hires. I, I, I think that Gase can do a lot of good for Sam Darnold, but I think it's hard to judge either of these hires until we see what they can do on the personnel side because they got to get a lot of pieces on this roster. Let me ask you, you know, something. You, with your role at Bleacher, uh, have gotten an opportunity to, you know, be more looped into a lot of feedback on what the league thinks overall of certain players. I get a little bit of that from how we work together, uh, just from covering the Jets for a while, but it's a little more siloed just to what people inside the organization think. Do you ever get concerned or wary about what sort of consensus opinions are around from people who work within the league and, and all, or get like a little... I don't know, skeptical that things may be more yeah. relationship-based or like what, where's the source of some of that info coming from? Because I've had, you know, mixed experiences with it where sometimes you get really good, solid info that turns out to be on point and other times you'll get info that maybe the reason behind it isn't just based on merit or it just turns out to be about something else. Yeah, I think it's become one of the more difficult parts of my job, to be completely honest with you, especially on the draft side because – you're always going to have people that cape for certain players for certain reasons. And sometimes they genuinely are right or they mean it. And sometimes, of course, there's individual interests. And I think that really comes from traveling through a lot of different schools throughout the season. So that's a little different, of course, than the pro side where we collect all of these reporter and analyst opinions. Some guys that know Adam Gase personally from maybe they played for him, maybe they worked with him, or maybe they just crossed paths or, or you know, or just crossing paths in general at different events. So it is very interesting, and it's why I was very clear when the hire was made. I said, listen, I, I was clear that Todd Munkin was kind of my choice. I thought it would have been a bit of a roll the dice higher because he hasn't been a head coach at the NFL level, but I loved his creativity on offense and his ability to call plays. And I think with Gase, I, I'll give this benefit of the doubt. I, Miami, the biggest thing people say is nobody can really win at Miami, and that's what a lot of Gase defenders will say. So does he deserve a second chance? I think so. But I think the biggest thing people need to be wary of, has he learned anything from that experience in Miami? Because yes, the Dolphins have a lot of their own problems, whether it is ownership, whether it is questionable personnel decisions. I think some of their drafts in recent years have been all over the place, but Adam Gase is not short of any fall. And that's why he was the man put on the street at the time. So will this be a situation kind of like Eric Mangini, where he almost got into coaching too quickly again and and didn't really change his ways? Or is this a guy that will actually adapt? And is this a guy that believes he has now put together a better staff and learned from bad hires in the past? So it's not necessarily sitting on the fence where you're saying you'll wait and see, but in a way it kind of is because we're going to learn, is Adam Gase willing to change? Is he going to be the offensive genius he was billed as years ago now that he has Sam Darnold? It is hard. To, and this is something, this is one main thing I agree with to a lot of people that I talk to that are big Gase defenders. 
it's hard to really run your full playbook when you are operating offense with Brock Osweiler, whether it's Jay Cutler at the end of what was just a, a disastrous end of his career, whatever that was. And even Ryan Tannehill, I, I've never been a Ryan Tannehill fan. So even I don't even put that against him. He tried to make it work maybe too hard at times. So I'm curious to see if the creativity does change with Sam Darnold. And if it does not right away, because at the end of the year, we saw Sam Darnold that was ready to go. I think, you know, all, all bets are off here. He, he looked like he was ready to be fully unleashed. Then we'll see if Gase can be this guy he was billed as. But until now, it's really a wait and see approach. Yeah, look, it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch play out. I think you got two guys who, in a way, are going to kind of be co-head coaches with very strong personalities and who are going to take a very different approach, which is a good thing, to how you know Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers and Jeremy Bates went about things last year. And I think, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, shaking things up is going to be beneficial and hopefully get more out of guys like Darren Lee and Leonard Williams and offensively. Uh, I don't doubt that Gase is going to be able to manufacture more completions for Darnold and do things that are a little more creative and have a more higher upside than he was able to do with Ryan Tannehill or that Bates was even to do with Darnold. So I think we're going to find out pretty quickly. And I think, you know, a lot of this is also going to feed into how they handle the draft and free agency because talent is still an important thing at the end of the day. So you got to hope that they're able to really max out the value of that 100, 105 million in cap space and are able to max out the value of that third overall pick because candidly, we've seen a lot of teams turn it around pretty quickly. You look at the Bears, the Rams, the Texans when Watson was healthy, the jump the Chiefs made with Mahomes. You look at even back to the Eagles when they made the jump. You look how quick luck got in the playoffs with that roster around him. It's not crazy or my mind or unfair to think that during Darnold's rookie contract and the clock's ticking on it like this is your window to compete it's you know it's year five now but it's not rebuild time it's time to compete so my hope is that they have an off season that is conducive to that and have an experienced head coach so there isn't that learning curve and they could kind of hit the ground running uh, but like you said I think we'll find out in those first uh, couple weeks of the regular season yeah I think it's a good point though I think if you went with the monk in a rule hire you could sit there in year one and be like well, this guy's never been a head coach in the NFL, so we won seven or eight games. Great. Let's build off it. I think part of the argument or the sell for Gase, because I remember a couple of days before the hire was made, I tweeted, Adam Gase would be a very hard sell. That was not meant to say, I don't like Adam Gase or I think it's a bad hire. It's to the fan base. That's a hard sell. The guy that didn't win in Miami. And I think when you break it down, one of the selling points you would assume is he's already coached in the NFL. He has experience. That should really jumpstart that, hey, He's been coaching the last couple of years in the NFL. He keeps saying he knows this division. It, one of the reasons he took the job was because he wants to stay in the division. That means you want to capitalize on that now. So, I mean, you really are hoping for nine or ten wins in a playoff berth next year, especially with $100 million in cap space. Joe, you and I always say this. In today's free agency, I don't know what that gets you. Let's wait and see who actually is even available on the market. But once again, you got to be really proactive in the draft to get the right pieces. And Adam Gase has to develop Sam Darnold to be a top guy quicker, sooner than, you know, sooner rather than later. All right, Connor, thank you as always for joining us. Everybody give him a follow on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. Subscribe to Stick to Football. Follow his work on Bleacher Report. It's going to be nothing but uh, madness for you these next few months with the NFL draft upcoming. 
Yeah, it's always a good time, though. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm sure this will not be the last time we speak until the draft. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thank you, everybody, for listening, and make sure to check back Saturday for our special bonus episode with Damian Woody.